All right, well, let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, come by the most powerful intercession of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, your well-beloved spouse. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, welcome everybody uh, to our, our second uh, class of the semester. Just a reminder that the format's a bit different. Uh, we did have a class last month in February, but it was up in Goodland, and the audio is on the website, uh, and so that's what will happen for April as well. So this will be our last meeting uh, this semester, but there will be another class in April that I'll record and put on the website, so please try to listen to those um, as you are able. So we're talking about the Ten Commandments, uh, and so far this year, semester, kind of given an introduction, and we've talked, I've talked about the first four commandments, uh, one through four, so those are all uh, recorded and online. So tonight, we're going to jump around a little bit, and we're going to do the fifth, seventh, eighth, and tenth commandment. Because the 6th and the ninth kind of go together, so doing them in order, since our classes are kind of so far apart, I think it'd be better to kind of group them uh, a little bit like that. So that's the plan. Uh, we'll try to get through those four commandments tonight, and then in April, I'll talk about the 6th and the ninth commandments, and maybe we won't get to the 10th tonight, and I'll do it then. But either way, we'll get through all 10 by the end of the semester. So just to jump right in, the 5th commandment uh, is one of probably one of the more well-known of the ten, thou shalt not kill. Um, as we'll see, though, that's not the best translation because it's not forbidding in every and all circumstances the taking of human life. What it's directly forbidding is what we would call murder. Okay? The, f- the fifth commandment primarily We'll see that it actually includes a lot more than just that, but primarily it is the prohibition against the taking of an innocent life. That's how we would define murder, is the intentional killing of an innocent person. Um, And that doesn't mean like innocent absolutely, because nobody's innocent, right? We're all guilty of something, but innocent in that context and in that situation. Uh, because we'll talk about there are things, types of killing that don't fall under this prohibition. Uh, one of them is self-defense. But as we'll see, in the case of self-defense, the person that's attacking you is not innocent. Okay, so if, if, if a life ends up being taken in those circumstances, it's not murder. So murder is the, the intentional killing of an innocent person. And that's what the fifth commandment primarily uh, and directly is forbidding. In the catechism, the church has always taught that this is an absolute moral imperative. That's actually true of all of the, the the negative Ten Commandments. I haven't really talked about this, but some of the commandments are positive. Honor your father and your mother. Keep holy the Lord's day. And some of them are negative. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Those negative commandments telling us not to do something, uh, the, the scriptures and our faith and the church have always taught us that those are called absolute moral imperatives. What that means is that there are no exceptions. Right? We, we kind of are surrounded with a, a certain kind of relativism in, in morality, 
that, that seeks to justify things because of difficult circumstances or because of the intention of the person of, you know, uh, they're just, um, yeah, we try, to, we try to rationalize and justify certain things. Um, and one of the things that the fifth commandment forbids that we'll talk about is abortion. And abortion is a great example of where people try to justify it based upon difficult circumstances. And absolutely, we want to have compassion for anybody that finds themselves in those difficult circumstances where they're alone, they don't have anybody to support them, you know, crisis pregnancies and things like that. But the church has been, always been adamant that circumstances do not justify what the church calls intrinsically evil actions. Right? And so um, a number of the Ten Commandments, the ones that forbid certain actions, those are valid always and everywhere without exception. Right? There is no circumstance in which murder is morally justified. Okay? Because you can never directly do evil because that is always contrary to the will of God. Um, so this commandment forbidding murder uh, is universally va valid. It obliges everybody always uh, without exceptions. But Jesus, and we talked about this in a homily a couple weeks, week, weekends ago, Jesus actually brings forth that this commandment forbids a lot of other things as well. When he said, you've heard that it said you shall not kill, but I say to you, Okay, and so the Catechism teaches us that the fifth commandment also forbids or includes within its teaching, right, anger, hatred, vengeance. Uh, we'll see that it, it includes a respect for uh, not just human life, obviously, but it includes a respect for the dignity of other people. It includes a respect for our own human dignity. Um, and so we'll see that uh, a number of things fall under this commandment, which is true of all of the commandments. They're, they're far more ro robust than we, we sometimes uh, immediately realize. But so again, it directly forbids murder, the killing of an innocent person. But I already mentioned that there are, there are types of killing that are not morally murder and are not forbidden by this commandment. Uh, one of them is legitimate self-defense, okay? Because we have an obligation to protect our own life. And we actually have an obligation to protect the lives of others, uh, especially parents or, you know, your family, okay? And so the church has always taught that if somebody's trying to take your own life or the life of another person, it could even be a stranger, Right? If there's an aggressor attacking another person or attacking you, then it's morally permissible to defend yourself or to defend another person. Even if that leads to the taking of the life of the attacker. Okay? Now, we want a couple things to, to qualify that is we want to do what we can, you know, God forbid, hopefully none of us are ever in a situation like this. But again, just to, to kind of understand what one could do in a situation. You want to do what you can to subdue somebody non-lethally. Okay, so killing an attacker is not like your first, uh, it's a last resort. If that's the only way to stop somebody. But if you can subdue them non-lethally, then you should try to do that. 
but you know police officers will tell you that there's situations where that that would be imprudent you know if somebody has a gun or somebody has a knife uh, you may not be able to take that step but you don't want to just automatically uh, try to you know go to that extreme you want to try to defend them uh, defend yourself in a way that is non-lethal um, and part of the reasoning here is that again this person is not innocent they're the aggressor and by taking that violent act they've in a sense kind of forfeited their own right at their own inviolable right to life in that situation because they've become an aggressor they've become an attacker and because our life is e as equally valuable as theirs right we can use sufficient force necessary to defend our life um, and we'll also i'll mention that that this applies to soldiers as well it's kind of the same principle but legitimate self-defense, even if it involves killing, is not murder and is not forbidden by the fifth commandment. The church has always taught that. Um, another thing that falls under this, um, and I'm not going to talk about this a lot because it actually gets really, really complicated because Pope Francis in particular has, has been teaching a lot about this. And it's led to a little bit of confusion. And that is capital punishment or the death penalty. Okay. So the church holds kind of two things simultaneously. The church has always taught, based upon scripture itself, that the government does have the right to take the life of a criminal in extreme circumstances because of the gravity of the crime or because of the need to defend society. Okay? So on the one hand, the, that can be morally licit, morally permissible, but at the same time, the church strongly uh, encourages governments to be merciful and to be lenient. Okay? So it's a both and. It's not an either or. So capital punishment or the death penalty can be morally licit. Uh, governments do have that authority from God. But the church strongly encourages them, especially with kind of modern technology today and in first world countries in particular, where we have relatively secure, uh, you know, prison detainment facilities where we can keep people um, safe. We can keep society safe from, from criminals, again, for the most part. Uh, the church encourages and promotes mercy, um, seeing the dignity of the life of those criminals as well. Um, and the church is always asking governments uh, to, to extend mercy uh, and clemency towards them uh, while at the same time protecting society um, and upholding justice. So that one can get kind of very complicated and there's a lot of misinformation out there, but it's just a both and. All right? The church holds those two kind of things at the same time. Um, I've already mentioned that directly what is forbidden by this is murder. Um, but also, the, the Catechism says that the fifth commandment forbids doing anything with the intention of indirectly bringing about a person's death. Um, and so, um, exposing somebody to danger without a grave reason. Um, later on, the Catechism is going to say that um, drunk driving 
and driving uh, dangerously or with excessive speeds um, is a grave sin contrary to this commandment because you're putting your own life at risk and you're putting other people's lives at risk. Right? So that kind of, you're not, you know, a, a drunk driver, I, I'm assuming 99.9% .9 of the time, is not intending to murder somebody. But they are responsible for their behavior. Um, because when you, when you unnecessarily put yourself in danger of death, um, that's gravely contrary to the, the value and the respect that we should have for our life. Now, there are circumstances like soldiers, police officers, firefighters, they put themselves in danger of death all the time, but it's for a valid reason, right? Because they're seeking to save other people's lives. So that's justified. But when there isn't that justifying reason, we can't put our lives at risk unnecessarily. Um, and so that can be direct or indirect. It can be intentional or unintentional, but we still have an obligation to uh, uphold uh, and protect our lives. Um, I've mentioned abortion. I know this is a, you know, it's a, it's a very controversial, very difficult topic in our society today. It's very divisive. Um, but the scriptures, the 2,000-year tradition of, of Christianity, and the explicit teachings of the, of the Catholic Church are unambiguous and, and completely clear that abortion is murder. It's the murder of an unborn person, an unborn child. And because it's murder, it is absolutely and always forbidden. Uh, there are no exceptions to that, and under no circumstances can it be morally licit. As I already mentioned, though, part of being pro-life is having uh, real concern and compassion for somebody that finds themselves in a difficult pregnancy and providing resources for them, providing uh, help and assistance and education and all kinds of things um, to help them in that difficult situation, but it is never justified uh, to kill an unborn child um, under no circumstances. The fifth commandment also forbids uh, euthanasia or, or physician-assisted suicide, the, the, the intentional taking of the life of somebody who is elderly or sick. Um, the church is absolutely against euthanasia because every single human person has the same human dignity, and it's not based upon our health, right? So a handicapped person has the exact same human dignity and value that you and I do. An elderly person, somebody in a coma, uh, somebody severely ill, uh, it is never justified to intentionally uh, murder another person, and that's what euthanasia is. Uh, it's just uh, we kind of put... A good, we try to put a good light on it, but it's, it's murder. It's the intentional taking of another life. And so it's absolutely forbidden by the church and by God. And then lastly, the, in terms of like grave sins, the fifth commandment also forbids suicide. Um, because suicide is murder of self. Right? The underlying principle here is that human life does not belong to us to do with it what we want, to take it whenever we feel like it. Human life belongs to God. Every human life belongs to God. Okay? And he is the author of life and death. He is the master. Um, and so we never have the right to take the life of an innocent person. Well, suicide is, is taking one's own life 
And so it falls under that same um, being forbidden. Now, the church does as well say that we don't, there's been some confusion that people think that the church at one time taught that people who commit suicide automatically go to hell. That is not true. It's never been true. Um, in the past, they were forbidden from having a Catholic funeral, but that didn't mean the church was saying they went to hell. Uh, today, they can have a funeral, um, and the catechism you know, explicitly brings out that uh, we don't despair of the salvation of, of somebody who commits suicide because there can be a lot of psychological um, difficulties that, that lead into a decision like that that takes away some of the responsibility. Um, you know, there can be lots of stress, lots of suffering, emotional and psychological, um, you know, pathologies or disorders that can lead somebody down that path that they may not be freely, entirely choosing it on their own. Um, and so that takes away a, a lot of the responsibility. But the fifth commandment also is not just forbidding the taking of life, it's also requiring us to have proper respect for life. And so this includes um, our physical health. We have an obligation to maintain our physical health. Right? It's one of the gifts that God has given us. And it's part of our dignity that we have to take care of ourselves. It is not morally acceptable for Christians to just, you know, treat their bodies um, like a, you know, like, a, I don't know, like a garbage can. And we just put whatever we want in it. No, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Okay? They're holy. And we're called to respect them. Um, so the Catechism says that uh, it requires us to avoid every kind of excess, right? The, ab the abuse of food, alcohol, tobacco, medicine. Um, it forbids uh, the taking of uh, drugs that are not, not pharmaceutical drugs that your doctor gives you, but um, you know, recreational drugs that are harmful to your health or that impair the use of your reason. Um, so gluttony is against the fifth commandment. Um, you know, smoking can be if it's to an extent that it's seriously harming your health. Um, you know, alcoholism, uh, drug use, all of these things are contrary to the fifth commandment. Um, it also calls us to work for peace, um, not just among countries. So the, the church... Is, is always in asking governments to avoid war, right? Because war brings with it incredible evil, incredible suffering, and lots of death. Now, the church does has what, what's called a just war doctrine. I'm not going to go into it with great detail. But under a number of circumstances, there's four or five, um, war can be morally acceptable because countries have a right to defend themselves against aggressive nations. And so it's like the principle of self-defense. Just as we have the right to defend ourselves if somebody attacks us, well, at the, the, in the same way, basically, countries have a right to defend themselves if they're attacked. Um, and so there are a number of circumstances there. Um, 
yeah, I won't get into, you know, kind of current wars and things like that because that gets complicated and political and, and people have lots of different opinions about that. But the church does have a just war teaching where if, if a number of circumstances are met, it can be legitimate um, to use uh, force to defend oneself. Um, but we're always called to work for peace. And this also includes peace with one another, right? The fifth commandment forbids hating our neighbor, right? That's directly contrary to God's commandment to love our neighbor. Um, and the, the catechism will say that if our, if our anger towards another person leads us to uh, desire, or let me, let me tell you exactly how it, if anger reaches the point of a deliberate desire to kill or seriously wound a neighbor, it is gravely against charity, it is a mortal sin. Right? If our anger leads us to deliberately desire to kill or seriously wound a neighbor, uh, that is a mortal sin. Um, because that type of anger and hatred of another person is contrary to, to charity. Uh, Jesus tells us to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. Um, so that's the fifth commandment. I uh, just want to see if anybody has any questions be before we move on. Okay, so we're going to move on to the seventh commandment. We're going to skip over the sixth for now. Seventh commandment, thou shalt not steal. Okay, and so again, all of the Ten Commandments, they kind of directly forbid or they're kind of more explicitly about one type of sin, but they actually include a lot more. And that's what we've kind of been trying to bring out. Um, so this one is pretty straightforward, right? You shall not steal. It's forbidding taking another person's property um, against their will, right? Or we'll see um, without sufficient justification. Now, what's interesting about this is that the church, again, we like both hands. We like to kind of hold things in tension that some people think are incompatible, but we hold both of them at the same time. So the church is a, a strong proponent of private property, right? Uh, the church completely condemns socialism. And the popes have said you cannot be a Catholic and a socialist at the same time because socialism uh, rejects and denies private property. Well, that's a, that's a foundational uh, principle of Catholic social teaching. So the church strongly defends private property, that we have a natural right uh, to receive and to acquire either through you know, inheritance, family, possessions, or just through our own labor and work, we have a right to acquire and hold private property. But there's an important caveat to that for us to, to, hold, to know as Catholics. The right to private property is not absolute. Okay? It's not 100% absolute. Because at the same time, the church clearly teaches that all of the goods of the earth belong to everybody. That God created everything that exists, not for us as individuals, but for the human race as a whole. Okay? And so we have to hold both of these things at the same time. All of us have the right to our individual private property. But 
at the same time, the goods of the earth, the resources that exist, are meant for everybody. And so it, there is a way in which people can unjustly hoard private property or resources in a way that denies the rights of other people. And that happens all over the world. So, for example, this commandment forbids theft. But, just as an example, the church has, has always taught and does teach, if somebody is starving, like if somebody is literally starving and their life is in danger, then they have a right to take whatever food they come across. Because their life is of greater importance than your private property. Does that make sense? If somebody is starving, you don't have a right to refuse to give them food. You have to. Right? It's an obligation in justice and charity. Now, obviously that could be abused and... People may take advantage of that, and they're not actually starving. And so those are things that could be discussed. But there's an obligation in justice and charity that the goods of the earth belong to everybody within reason. Okay? And there's a natural right that people have to survive. Okay? And so if, if somebody's in a, just a desperate situation... Um, I don't know if you've seen the movie or read the book or seen the movie Les Miserables. Um, He gets arrested and sent to jail for stealing bread. Okay, well, that was to feed his family who was in desperate need. Okay, the church would say that that's not theft. That's not stealing. Right? Because there's a basic fundamental right uh, to have the sustenance that somebody needs to survive. And that right supersedes the right to private property. Okay? So the church, the seventh commandment absolutely forbids theft, which we, we can't just take other people's stuff because we want to or because we want it. We can't take people's stuff against their will. All right? And unless there's a grave, grave necessity, uh, you can never take uh, other people's property. But there are situations in which people have a basic fundamental human right to sustenance and, and to basic necessities like that. And we have an obligation uh, to provide for them out of our surplus. Okay, taking care of the poor is, is one of the foundations of Christianity. And Jesus says, whatever we do to them, we do to him. And whatever we don't do to them, we don't do to him. The last judgment in Matthew chapter 25 is about taking care of the poor. And that's the foundation, that's the, the principle by which people go to heaven or hell in that parable. And so we have an obligation uh, to use the goods that God has given us for the well-being of our neighbor, while at the same time we have the right to hold on to what we've earned, um, and, and people cannot take that from us unless it's a case of, of life and death. Um, the seventh commandment also requires that we would respect creation, right? that God created everything that exists for our good, and he gave us dominion over it, 
but we still have a, an obligation to respect it because it's part of God's creation. It reflects his glory, um, and we're called to be stewards. So we don't have the right to just destroy the planet um, in order to provide for what we want. It has to be balanced out. Um, and then this commandment will also um, encourage us to properly use the goods that we've been given. Okay? To not fall into materialism, consumerism, um, an excessive kind of desire for possessions. Um, the 10th commandment, we'll talk about that as well. But stealing is forbidden. Private property is upheld. While at the same time, everything that exists, all of creation, uh, exists for everybody. There's a universal uh, sharing in the goods that God has given us. So we have an obligation uh, to provide for our neighbor in justice and in charity. Okay, any questions on the Eighth Commandment? On the, sorry, on the Seventh Commandment. Stealing, theft, private property. I think we're just going to do one more tonight. All right, the Eighth Commandment. I think we'll stop after this one. The Eighth Commandment is you shall not bear false witness, right? So it's... a a prohibition against lying. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? He identified himself with the truth because God is tr the truth. Therefore, the truth is one of the fundamental goods of all of existence, of all of creation. And it's one of the things that we're called to strive for as Christians. That if Jesus, who we follow, is the truth, then we have to live in the truth. So we're called to always strive to know the truth, but always to speak the truth. Um, Jesus said to Pilate that he came into the world to bear witness to the truth. And that's part of our vocation as well. Is we're called to bear witness to the truth of Christ in our words and in our actions. But if we're not reliable in our speech, then nobody's going to listen to us. If we don't have a rep reputation for integrity and for honesty, then why would anybody believe anything we say about Jesus? And so holding to the truth is how we serve God. It's how we serve Christ. Because when we go against the truth, we go against him. Um, Jesus said... Uh, that Satan is, a is the father of lies and that everyone who lies does the will of their father who is Satan. Right? So God hates lies. He is absolutely opposed to them. So this commandment forbids all offenses against truth. Uh, and there's a number of them that the catechism lists. Uh, false witness and perjury uh, when we publicly uh, say something false when we swear an oath, when we perjure ourselves, uh, or take an oath before other people, or uh, say something publicly that is um, false, then that has an even greater gravity to it. This commandment also forbids, and this is really important because I think 
every person on the planet falls into these things. This commandment requires us to have a, a reputation, uh, sorry, a respect for the reputation of other people. And so I've mentioned these a few times, but there's three ways in which we can uh, sin against this commandment against other people. Uh, rash judgment, detraction, and calumny. Right? Rash judgment is when we uh, immediately assume the worst of other people. We don't give them the benefit of the doubt. But when we see them do something, or when they say something, or when we hear about something they've, they've said or done, um, we just assume that they did something wrong, that they're at fault, that it was intentional. Um, we assume the worst. And the Catechism goes on to say that to avoid this, everyone should be careful to interpret insofar as possible his neighbor's thoughts, words, and deeds in a favorable way. Loving our neighbor means giving them the benefit of the doubt. Right? Maybe, they're, maybe they're having a really bad day. Maybe they're suffering a lot and we don't know about it. Maybe they just got some really bad news. Maybe they misspoke and didn't mean it. Maybe they, um, maybe they didn't mean what we thought they meant. Right? We, we misunderstand people all the time. And there's just a, a, a great temptation uh, to judge people in a negative way, especially if we already have a difficult relationship with them. But we don't know those things to be true. That's why they fall under this commandment. Because we don't know another person's heart and mind. We don't know their intentions. We don't know what they're going through. And so when we rashly judge them, we're not only sin sinning against charity, we're sinning against the truth. Because we, act, we, we assume that we know things that we don't. And so to respect the truth and to try to love our neighbor, we want to give people the benefit of the doubt, assume a favorable interpretation. Um, and that actually just leads to a, a lot more peace between people. It also forbids detraction and calumny. So the way to distinguish these two, both of them are forms of gossip. Okay? Detraction is true gossip. Calumny is false gossip. So detraction is when we reveal the faults of another person to a third party. Do you know what so-and-so did? Did you hear what happened to so-and-so? You know, we're, we're gossiping, we're sharing with other people the faults of another. Okay, that is a sin. Because... One, it's contrary to charity. It's contrary to that person's right to a good reputation. Whoever we're telling has no right to know that. They don't need to know. Okay, so the detraction is uh, unnecessarily disclosing another person's faults and failings. And in doing so, we're harming their reputation. Right? We're bringing them down in the eyes of another person, or we're just spreading their faults around to anybody we can find. Um, nobody would like somebody doing that about them. We don't want people going around sharing our, our faults and weaknesses. Um, but that means that we can't do that with other people. That's the sin of detraction. Now, there may be some situations where uh, a person 
another person like needs to know what happened or has a right to know, those are different, but those need to be discerned uh, very well. And then calumny uh, is false gossip. It's spreading lies about people or spreading falsehoods about people. And it could either be done intentionally or unintentionally. Maybe you don't know something is false. Well, you're still sinning by spreading it, right? Because you don't need to. There's no necessity there. And if you're spreading something that's false, that's even graver than spreading something that's true. Um, But so these are sins that we really need to be on guard against and, and help your kids with, right? Kids have a tendency sometimes to, you know, be tattletales. And it's not that that's always a bad, de- bad thing, but it's not really behavior you want to encourage unless it's like really, really serious. Because we shouldn't go around telling other people um, what somebody said or did unless there's a real grave reason to do so. Okay. So detraction and calumny are both uh, sins, and the gravity of them is based upon the gravity of the fault that's being shared, um, the harm that it's doing to their reputation, the bad intent that we have in sharing it. So all of those things can make those sins worse, uh, and they can even be mortal sins if, if a lot of harm is being done to somebody. Um, Catechism goes on to say that detraction and calumny destroy the reputation and honor of one's neighbor. They're against the virtues of justice and charity. It's also forbidden, though, um, by encouragement or by silence or by flattery um, to, by our, our speech or lack thereof, when we confirm somebody in their sins. We have an obligation in charity to correct our neighbor. If we know that somebody is doing something uh, harmful and sinful and contrary to God's law, um, in a prudent way, we want to try to figure out, find a way to talk to them about it with charity and with humility. But, you know, silence or even worse, kind of uh, telling them it's okay, um, then makes us partly responsible for their sins. Catechism also says that boasting and bragging is an offense against the truth. Um, So is irony aimed at disparaging someone by maliciously caricaturing some aspect of his behavior to to characterize somebody in, in a negative way. It's sarcasm. Sarcasm can be sinful when it's excessively negative and, and tearing people down. And then lying is the biggest one. Um, the church teaches that lying is intrinsically evil, which means that it's never justified. You know, we, we talk about so-called white lie, and we use that to kind of excuse ourselves, but even a white lie is a lie, and it's not a mortal sin, uh, but lying is always forbidden. And the church defines lying as to speak or act against the truth in order to lead into error someone who has the right to know that truth. And so there's a couple things there that you're saying something false in order to deceive somebody. 
you know, if you tell a joke, you might say something that's not objectively true, but you're not trying to deceive people, right? You're telling a joke. Lying is saying something that you know to be false in order to deceive another person, in order to make them think um, something that you know to be is false, you're trying to get them to think it's true. You're trying to lead them into error. And this person has a right to know what you're uh, talking about. So that's kind of an important qualification as well because the, the Catechism will go on to say that not everybody has a right to know every truth. There are circumstances in which you don't have to tell somebody the full truth or they don't have a right to know it. Now, that doesn't justify lying, okay? but it doesn't mean that you have to always tell everyone everything. There's a middle ground where you, you find a way to just kind of, um, yeah, you don't have to disclose everything. You know, a, a, a stranger walks up to you and asks you a very personal question. You don't have to answer them. You can't lie to them. But you can find a polite way to refuse to answer the question. Because it's one thing to refrain from speaking the truth. And it's another thing to actively lie. Those are two very different situations. And it's never justified to actively lie. But you don't always have to, you don't always have to ask, answer people's questions. You don't always have to tell them everything you know. Uh, you can withhold uh, information, but you can't actively, positively lie. And then the last thing that I'll say about this uh, commandment is that both the seventh and the eighth commandment, um, as well as others in, in different situations, but these two in particular, stealing and lying or detracting or calumniating somebody, they both include an obligation when we repent of them because they're sins against justice that we have to try to do something to make restitution. So when it comes to theft, if you steal something and then you repent of it, you have an obligation to return what you stole. Okay? If you spread gossip about somebody and it's either true or false, and you later repent of that, you have an obligation to try to restore the damage that you did to their reputation. Um, this can be true of the, of the fifth commandment. You know, if, if you um, harm somebody, then you then have an obligation to, to try to restore that to the extent that you can. Now, sometimes, let's say you, you know, stole something from somebody 20 years ago, and you have no way of ever giving it back or anything like that, um, you can kind of substitute a gift to charity. But to try to make some restitution um, from if you took something unjustly from somebody else. And the same thing with lying. You know, if you've spread false information about somebody, then you need to tell those people that you told that to that you found out that that wasn't true. Because when we harm somebody's reputation, we then need to try to restore it uh, to, the, 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 to the best of our ability. So sins against justice, when we 
take something that isn't ours when we harm another person, um, there's an obligation to try to restore that to the best of our ability. All right, any questions on, on the Eighth Commandment or any of the others? We'll do the tenth one next time. Hmm. Yeah. So you, you could you could say something false without lying because the sin of lying, and this is true of all sins, um, they're they're tied up with our will, with what we're choosing to do. So ignorance in some circumstances can take away the the moral culpability. So if somebody is ignorant that what they're saying is false and they really believe it to be true, and there's two types of ignorance, there's culpable and inculpable, right? So for example, if, if you get pulled over by a, by a police officer um, on, on the highway and you say you were going 90 and you say, oh officer, I didn't know the speed limit was 65, that's not going to get you out of a ticket. You can't claim ignorant, even if you were ignorant of that, right? As a, as a, somebody with a driver's license, like you have an obligation to know the speed limit within reason. So you can be responsible for your ignorance is the point. But let's say somebody's not responsible for their ignorance. They, they believe something that's false and they, they really think that it's true. Then that would not be the sin of lying. Because the sin resides in your will, in choosing to do something that you know is wrong. So you can, you can do something that's objectively wrong without it being a sin. If you're invincibly ignorant that it's wrong. So you can say something false, and if, you're truly, if you truly think it's true, and you're not intending to lie and you're, you know, ignorant in a way that you're not responsible for, then that would not be a sin. It wouldn't be the sin of lying. It'd still be saying something false, and so it could cause harm. It's saying just because people aren't responsible for what they do sometimes doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that what they're doing isn't harming people. Because evil, evil is always harmful. Falsehood is always harmful. But it doesn't mean it's always a sin if, if the person is, is inculpable. All right, let's close with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Almighty God bless you all, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you all.